Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Modern Mind, the podcast that simply aims to explore the minds that inspire modern society by provoking thought and inspiring change. I'm your host, Fergus Crawley, and welcome to today's episode. Our guest today is Suet Amin, who could well be the youngest guest that we've had on the podcast thus far, but I will need to fact-check myself as Ben West is in the same category. So either way, go back and listen to that episode. But before we dive into today, it's important to set the scene. Suet is a very successful young man with a very successful business in Solderson, which is an influencer marketing agency based out of Glasgow. Suet is a survivor of cancer and has come out the other side with a new worldview, a refined perspective and a very clear direction that he wants to go in life. We explore the challenges that came with his cancer diagnosis, the process along the way, what came out of the other side in terms of the business, the lessons that he learned in scaling the business to two and a half million pounds of revenue, 11 employees, the pressure, the demands, the vulnerability, and the issues with the industry as a whole, as well as a bit of an explanation as to what exactly influencer marketing is, and hopefully a little bit more context on the perhaps inherent cynicism that people have with such a concept. But expect all of that and more in today's conversation, which I'm sure you will enjoy very shortly. But before we do that, it's important to mention the show's sponsors, as without them, there would be no show. First up, we have Human24, who focus on 24-hour optimization through their education and range of products. Please head to their website or social media if you're looking for more information on how to better manage your circadian rhythm. And if you're ready to add in some supplements to level things up, then please do listen closely. Rise is their morning optimization drink with 125 milligrams of naturally occurring caffeine, nootropics and electrolytes available in three delicious flavors and helps you to win the morning. Next up, we have Flow, which is their caffeine-free nootropic adaptogen to give you a pick-me-up in the afternoon without any of the negative side effects of redosing caffeine. Then we have Pre-Sleep, which is their pre-sleep supplement, clues in the name, and it contains all of the scientifically reinforced, correctly dosed ingredients that are proven to give you a higher quality of sleep. I've been using the products for well over a year now and honestly swear by them, so if you'd like to give them a go, please use the code FERGUS10 for 10% off at checkout, and do let me know how you get on over socials. Next up, we have Man Cave, who are without a doubt the UK's most exciting men's grooming business as they are 100% natural, 100% recyclable, 100% cruelty-free, and 100% vegan without any compromising on performance. And they have a huge range of performance-focused products for you to choose from. Everything from weird and wonderful smelling shower gels to shampoo, conditioner, to anti-fatigue eye gel, and everything in between. Your bathroom is covered with Man Cave, and mine has been for well over a year now, and I thoroughly enjoy the products. I feel great, I smell great, and dare I say it, sometimes I look great. And that's a, a nice feeling at the end of the day. So if you'd like to give Man Cave products a go, please use the code FERGUS40 at checkout to save yourself 40% off, which is an enormous amount of money to save, so do act fast. And please check them out on social media as well as Strava, where they have a thriving community that you can get involved with. So without any further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Do it. How are we? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Aside from traffic, which we both just experienced. Yes. Yes. It's not great. The Edinburgh traffic. Anyone coming to Edinburgh, don't, would be my recommendation <laughs> at the moment. Give it a couple of months before the council sort themselves out, but it might end up being years. So to preface today's conversation, I think the most important question off the bat is how do you define success? 
Wow, big question right off the start. I actually really know what the conversation was going to be about, so it's good to, to get into this. Um, I think success is a very personal thing to everyone. I think I've battled a lot with what success is over my, my journey because there was a part of me when I was younger that thought success was be this big person with status, a lot of money, a lot of wealth, very very conventional route. But then I've had sort of like points of reflection where I've realized, does that all really matter? You know, does this matter, does it not? Uh, and I've not really decided what success is, but I think it is a very personal thing because everyone has a different scenario. Like some person can be very philanthropic and if they have, you know, achieved X, Y, Z charitable amounts, that's success for them. If some person has become a billionaire, that's success for them. It depends on what you personally define it to, but as long as you're pushing towards something that is, I guess, greater than what you are and continually improving, I think that's that's kind of success, but it's personal. I entirely agree. What does it mean to you personally? Oh, for me personally, okay, I don't know whether that was the question, what you meant in general. Yeah, no, no um, I'm, not, I'm not, not letting you get away from that. Don't try and run away from the question. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you, you I, make I a think, great politician. Yeah, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't think I've, um, I've, I've fully worked it out yet. Um, I have like this idea of like, you know, kind of, you know, I want to get to X status, X wealth, do X amount, but it's changed a lot. I think for me, like, as long as I achieve the purpose that I have at the moment, which is for me, I've wanted to use my story to inspire other people to take action um, and follow their, their dreams, whether that's entrepreneurial or whether that's in whatever sort of facet of life it is. As long as I can achieve that, I think that's successful. Obviously there is a monetary too. You know, I want to, you know, be successful monetary, you know, have multi-million net worth at some point eventually. Um, I do want to start a cancer foundation in the future. Uh, have some level of like following you know I just kind of like look at Stephen Bartlett for example and idolize that maybe a bit lower than that because I think he's come with a, it comes with a lot of problems for him that he talks about openly um, but I've not fully defined the exact this is what success is going to be for me because it's changed it keeps changing so that obviously comes from there's nature nurture is the question here and I think your background brings up a lot of questions a, a lot of unique characteristics that have made you the person that you are today so do you want to just talk us through your upbringing your parents and and the mindset that was instilled in you from a young age yeah so i come from uh indian family south uh, south asian family uh they were my parents both moved to scotland and me and my brother were both born in scotland so i've been born and raised in glasgow all my life um but very traditional sort of indian parents where it's like do well in school get good grades get do well in uni and then get a good job and fundamentally it was always like you have to be better than everyone else you we want you to continually do you know if someone's doing this amount of work at school you need to do this amount of work at school if someone's getting this grade you need to get this grade and i think that's a very indian culture thing do you think that's a good thing do you think that's a good way um, to approach i think it was good for me i resented it when i was younger because I didn't understand the value of it as to like, why am I getting forced to do all this extra stuff? Why are my parents like putting me through hell? But looking back and I think it's a, a good thing. I think, again, it depends on the the, the, the person really, because some people, you know, everyone's got different personalities. But for me personally, I think it was a good thing because I'm looking back at it now and it's made me, you know, much more just, it's just made me harder worker, a much harder worker. And there's been times where I just haven't wanted to do stuff, but because I've had that discipline from a young age where my parents have instilled that in me of you have to, do this whether you like it or not and just get the stuff done um i think it's benefited me in the long term so yeah it's fascinating because there's a huge part of that culture that is not relevant to the rest of the uk there isn't that sort of this is the pathway that you will follow therefore do everything you can from this age to try and get there and the way i view it is yes it instills a culture of hard working which can only be a good thing in the long term but my fear is 
to play devil's advocate, not as a criticism, but that it could be, it could essentially send children down pathways that they don't want to go down and they might miss out on learning things about themselves, about what they're interested in, what makes them sick, what actually truly makes them fulfilled and happy. And that, in my opinion, isn't necessarily the best way to channel that hard work. So with that in mind, if you end up having kids in the future, what would your opinion be on upbringing with that in mind? Because obviously the cultural elements of your family will stick with you. Yep. And you've lived through it and you're in the position you are now. But what's your perspective on the good and the bad from that sort of approach? No, I completely agree with you in the fact that because of that culture, you may be pushed down a path you don't want to, right? And it was only because I discovered this alternate path myself that I ended up going down this path. And for the early years, my parents weren't so happy with the path I was choosing. It wasn't until the sort of later years of my journey. And I've, you know, I completely agree with you is that fear of a lot of people are almost like put down this one tunnel vision route and will never quite open up to the other opportunities that lie for them because they are faced on that. Yes, it will teach them that discipline, that hard work to excel in whatever they're doing, but is it the is it the right thing and the thing that fulfills them? Probably not. Um, so for me with my kids, yeah, I'm definitely gonna instill still that hard work, discipline, I'm being ambitious, always trying to strive to be better than other people, but I'm not gonna dampen it down to, you have to go to university or you have to become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, whatever the, the standard, um, I guess the stereotypical uh, thing is, it's like, be the best, but in whatever sort of area, you know, you think is good for you and you think you're going to, you know, want to have as your like kind of, uh, I guess, identity. So you had this growing up, you obviously were always measuring yourself against classmates and it was about 13 years old, wasn't it, where you actually started to see a bit of a light bulb in terms of monetizing your hobbies, which is not something that many, I don't know what 13, I was thinking about the next strength level on RuneScape, not thinking about how I could monetize it. But what what was it in you that made you start thinking there's a way I can turn this into cash there's a way that this can become something more than me just enjoying playing video games with my friends because the joy of being responsibility free at 13 and not needing to think about finances and paying your bills is part of the joy of gaming in the first place yep yet you found yourself going down a slightly different path didn't you yeah again every time someone asks me this everyone always thinks there was some you know magic moment for me but honestly I tell everyone it was just accidental like I didn't I wasn't this really conscious 13 year old that was like, right, I need to know and learn about finances, personal finance, money, everything. It was just, I accidentally fell upon it because I was gaming, trying to upload content to YouTube. And I think I was just in like the back end and just saw that you could make money from the content. It was like pennies. It was like, you know, one or two pence every single month. And I was but, like- But it was a pound sign. There was something there. Yeah, there was something there. There was like a dollar zero dot zero one or whatever, right? No, not, not particularly great, but it was, it was that that was like, okay, if I'm, if I'm doing this right now and making one pence, if I could just scale this up by 10x, I can make a pound. If I could scale this up by 100x, I can make 100. And then I started comparing it to the viewership of creators that I watched and idolized. I was like, okay, if I'm making this, getting this many views, how much are, are they making potentially? And then I was like, okay, I ran the numbers. I was like, okay, if I could get to that stage, then this could actually turn into something pretty interesting. And I love doing this maybe I can make a career out of this and I wouldn't have to worry about going down another route. I mean, I wanted to be a doctor anyway. It wasn't like I was necessarily forced into that. Probably there was some element of, you know, I, that was the only thing I knew about doing it. Environmental. Environmental, it? Yeah. but like I was very on board with that. It wasn't like I had to do it because my parents did. But then I realized I'm more passionate about, about gaming and, and online stuff. So let's try and see if I can still do what I love and then make money out of it. And if I can't, then it's fine. It doesn't really make a difference because I'm still doing what I enjoy. I've heard you 
say on other podcasts that you were very grateful for the upbringing that you had and that there wasn't really much adversity to report. And I think reflecting on adversity from childhood is, is something that's very popular within a podcast conversation space because we can ultimately trace back a lot of the reasons why we yep. are the way we are from things that have happened in the past. But for you, you found yourself going in these two very hardworking working channels. One was academic towards medicine and then one was developing a career in esports which was even more emerging than it is now as a sport yeah so do you want to just talk us through how those two channels were managed before it got to the point where things really started to change for you yeah so i think majority of the time i was more so focused on school academia heading towards that medicine because i was what i was 13 it was between sort of the age of 13 to 16 that i was really discovering all of this and and spending more time on it um, so, I mean, I was prioritizing that 100% at the end of every day, prioritizing that. As soon as I'd come home, finish homework, whatever, then I was just spending all the rest of my time just, because I was, I mean, I would be gaming my friends anyway. So when I was doing that, I would just be kind of maybe cutting back a little bit of that and then learning about other business opportunities online at the time. Um, so I was mostly still focused on, on school, really up until, I guess the age of 16 where it became a bit harder to manage because that's where I got a paid job at a company called ESL. Um, and I was getting paid like 800 quid a month from them at the time, which was amazing for me at 16. Like no one, no one else that I knew at my age, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm minted. Um, and that's where it became a bit harder to manage. But, um, I was just basically working weekends, focusing on, on ESL and after school. And I think I was more shifting towards the online work at this point because I don't know, I just had this flair and enjoyment of seeing stuff happen. Like I was, so the first time I was like working with content creators that I watched and it was super exciting to me to be able to actually communicate with these guys and organize deals and learn about how big brands operated. So I started probably shifting more of my time towards this at that point, not more so, not out of anything in terms of, you know, because I knew this was the way I was going to go forward. It was just simply out of the enjoyment and passion for it. And I've always been, as I say, because my parents instilled that in me when I was younger and, and, and made me hardworking, I've always been relatively academically, you know, I, I've been I've been well academically, so I didn't really deter too much from my academics. I wasn't, starting to start failing anything, nothing started happening. I was still, you know, doing very well, even though I was focusing on this path. And that's something that balancing at that age is unique. I mean, earning 800 quid a month at the age of 16 is unique in and of itself, but the skills that you develop along the way will have carried you forward to the position you are now, I'm sure of it. But going back to the adversity point, I, I've heard you say that essentially upbringing created this environment for you to be as creatively driven in terms of what was going on alongside academia, but things took a turn, didn't they, yeah. at, at a certain point in 2018? And do you want to just talk us through the process there and how that's ultimately underpin what happens next? Yeah, so as you say, I had no adverse step in my life. In my personal opinion, I had, you know, what you would generally think is a very perfect upbringing childhood. I'm very privileged to have two parents who were doctors, earning good money, went to private school, was, you know, never had to worry about anything really because it was it was all kind of there. We weren't massively wealthy, but we were very comfortable. And then, you know, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because a lot of people who are in that situation then don't really, really I, they don't, because it's, I feel like adversity flicks a switch in you and makes you need to feel the need to find something in you to achieve more. And, you know, I was just kind of doing these things for fun, hand in hand, and I didn't really see an awful lot coming from it. But in 2018, this is when the adversity in my life, the main adversity that I faced probably so far in my life happened. 
And um, it was during my time when I was working at ESL. So I have, I'm, I'm a fifth year of school. I'm balancing doing my hires, which is obviously in Scotland, the most important exams to get into university. I've obviously got everything else going on, extracurriculars, I was doing sport um, and, you know, balancing different things there. And then also this uh, this job at ESL, which I just started, which I was super excited about. And the idea for this was that I was going to work for them full time after I finished school. So there was a lot of exciting things ahead, a lot of projections. And I basically discovered a lump in the left hand side of my neck in the end of 2017. It was New Year's Eve of 2017. So I thought my parents scratched the lump, scratched my neck, felt a lump. And I brushed it off as if it was nothing because if you see here, there's a scar under there basically. And I had one when I was four, it was benign, no problems. So I was like, okay, this is gonna be the same. It'll just be some benign thing. They'll probably just remove it. Um, over the January month, just kept more just kept growing and forming. And this is when things started looking a bit, you know, worrying. Spoke to my parents who are obviously both doctors and um, my dad was like, okay, something's definitely up. Let's go get you tested. And the specialist didn't really have a clue what it was at the time. So I got a few of the lumps removed from my neck. And um, basically in February 2018, I was given basically unfortunate news that I was gonna get diagnosed with a cancer called stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. So this is when I was 16 years old, literally just over five years ago now. Um, and then I underwent chemotherapy, cancer treatment for this treatment from March to August 2018. And that was the, the big, the big shift in my life. How did you cope with the news? Because that, at that age, when you've got so much going on, it must've been difficult to comprehend something like that because it was so out of the blue, so completely shocking that I can imagine it must've been difficult to process. At the start, it's, it's interesting because at the start, I didn't, wasn't really faced by it. Like as soon as, when I got told, so I kind of, I think I'd almost like prepared myself a little bit because I've done a lot of research and potentially what it could be. And my dad was trying to reassure me that it wouldn't be any of the, 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 the bad parts, which were the, the two types of cancer that could potentially have been. And there was a bunch of other things. But I think in my head, I just had almost like prepared myself that if it is the worst, it's going to be the worst. And then I, I got called to Beats and Cancer Center and my dad was reassuring me again, like, don't worry, this doctor deals with other stuff. It's not just cancer. Once again, I was I kind of mentally prepared. I had taken him and there's a teenage cancer specialist in there who usually comes to break the news to, to people that they've got this and explain the sort of support and whatnot. And once again, they tell me, and I'm pretty like, calm and, and nonchalant about it really. And, you know, obviously my dad's pretty aggrieved in the car on the way home, but I'm just kind of sitting there quietly, just not really processing it yet. It wasn't until I went home that, so obviously it hit me to the same day, but like right from the news at the start, I, I didn't feel anything. I went home and as I remember this, cause I was in the, I was in the, I was taking a shower after the, the, um, the thing, I think I could hear my mom outside the, the bathroom on the phone crying to my grandparents. And then that's when they like, all of a sudden, all of it that I just, all this built, like uh, kind of built up stuff that I hadn't processed yet. That's when it all just hit me all the one time. I just burst out in tears in the shower and it was just like, that's when I really realized what, what I was going through because I was like, this is cancer. This is one of possibly one of the worst things you can have. Um, just burst out crying in the bathroom. And I was just thinking, I had like, why me? Like, how is this even possible? Like, what if, like, what? have I done? It's not hereditary. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I was 16. I'd lived a healthy lifestyle, had a very good upbringing, always eating good foods, um, did sport. Like there was just didn't make any sense to me. And it was just disbelief at that point. I can only imagine. I think it, it, it's testament to the fact that it, it doesn't discriminate, does it, when it comes to this sort of thing. And that's why we try and look at things so analytically when it comes to health that 
I, I can understand why at the age you were existing the way that you did, you were looking at things like a, almost like a PL sheet in terms yep. of, well, these would be my inputs. Why is this the output? Which makes the space to be in an emotional state of mind very difficult to find yourself in. So without dwelling too much on the, the negativity of the experience, you've mentioned earlier that at some point you'd like to start a foundation for teenage cancer. So based on your experience with chemo and coming out the other side into remission, thankfully, what do you want to achieve with that foundation in the future based on your experience? Yeah, I haven't got a very clear cut idea in it, but for me, it was like, I understand for cancer specifically, cancer treatment, cancer research, it's a very expensive thing to, you know, that, that people have to go through, like Teenage Cancer Trust and all of these cancer foundations, they need a lot of funding because it's something that's not doesn't come cheap to, to discover. So for me, it was like, I need to get to a certain level of success and wealth to then be able to make a proper impact and, and invest and donate a lot of money. So I think it'll probably be some sort of charity or foundation focused on either the cancer I specifically had, like research in blood cancers, um, or specifically for teenagers, because obviously during my experience, I was lucky I was in remission, but I've met a lot of other kids who, unfortunately, I've, I've seen the news that they didn't quite make it. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's really upsetting to see that kids or teenagers who have all these prospects in life ahead have their life taken from them because of something that they cannot necessarily control. Because, you know, as I say, I didn't know how I got it. These guys probably don't know how they've got it. It just happens sometimes. You, you don't know. Um, and, you know, they don't even get the chance to actually have a go at life. Because really up in, when you're a teenager, you've not really done an awful lot in life. You've never really had, you've never really had the chance to go and make some sort of impact. So I want to start something that, you know, I know I need to get to a level of wealth where I can actually make an impact and something that's related to cancer research or something around trying to find a cure for different types of cancers or more support for for teens going through it um but that's the that's that's the main goal of like some sort of like my more philanthropy side so coming out the other side of that thankfully in remission how did your perspective your worldview your ambitions everything you want to achieve how did it all change because i can imagine going through an experience like that feels a bit like a second chance it's something i've experienced yep. with my own background as well and I know how my worldview and perspective changed coming out the back of my negative experience with my mental health. Whereas for you, you have you've essentially gone through a treatment where you didn't know what the outcome was going to be and had to live through that with your friends and family nearby at an age where the resources and the understanding is not quite where I think we conventionally understand cancer to be. I think that the general perspective in society is that it's something that can catch up with you in middle age and beyond. Yeah. So you must have felt quite isolated, alone, unique, and that must have made the emotional processing of the whole thing even more difficult. So how how did you view the world when you came out? For sure. I mean, just on the point that you made, like I never thought cancer was something that a teenager get. I didn't know anyone who was young who had ever got it. I always thought that it's something you probably get when you're older based on the way that you've lived in your lifestyle. So it was a very lonely and isolating experience. My worldview started shifting during the treatment as opposed to right after. So... Um, I think I tell this story a lot, but the cancer that I had was an 85% chance of curing first time. So the odds are relatively in my favor for my age group. Um, the way I was responding to it from the first four weeks, it was 85% chance of uh, getting into remission first time. But there is always that like voice in the back of your head. It's like, what if you are that 15%? Um, you know, I was probably in a very like pessimistic environment at the time because of what I was going through. I, I was very negative. So it's like, what if I am that 15%? And I think it was during June, during the treatment in June, um, that it started really shifting in my mind for me. 
I'd always known, like, as I say, since I started this online entrepreneurship journey when I was 13, that I wanted to achieve some sort of success with it. But it was always much more of a long-term play. And this treatment really shifted my perspective in the stance of I had to do something and take action right away because life could potentially be very, very short. You know, I never thought that at the age of 16, I could potentially be facing mortality. And that really changed the perspective of, all right, I could literally go out tomorrow and potentially die. I could get hit by a bus or I could get cancer or or whatever. And I was like, right, that means that there is generally no time to waste. I have to take action with my life right now. If I want to achieve some sort of level of success, leave some sort of legacy, make some sort of impact, I have to do something right away and, and follow my ambitions. And as I say, start, since I started in the online space and started learning about online entrepreneurship, building a couple of businesses, that's the route I wanted to go down. I wanted to be successful on that route. So I, I, I started right away. Instead of, you know, I was thinking I was going to go down uni and then go into the corporate world for a bit and then start a business once I had the credibility and resources. But I was like, I can't do this. There's no, I, I potentially might die now. So I basically started the business straight away out of, uh, whilst I was going through chemo actually, so it was in July, so the, the shortest shift happened in June, started the business in July, and then coming out of that, it made me just realize that I have to take every opportunity and not dwell on things. I mean, I've become more, I started saying yes to a lot more things. Obviously now I think I've scaled it back and now say no to a lot more things because of just how life goes and how time goes. But at the time it was like, I can't like waste time with things. If there's an opportunity presents itself that could be interesting for me, I have to I have to take action right away on on these sort of things. So that was where my perspective shifted. And you were eighteen at this point. Weren't no, you? I was uh, I was seventeen. When 17, I was seventeen at that point. Yeah. And the business you started then was that was that Solderson? Yeah, Solderson. Yeah. I started when I was seventeen. Yeah, yeah. And that is that is the business that is still growing now. Yeah. So I think the, the the real takeaway there is just how much perspective came from being faced with a challenge to a slower outlook on life because essentially the, the question you could you could frame this as is if you go to bed tonight would you be happy with this being the, the last day what if you didn't wake up tomorrow yeah i think 99.9 percent .9 of people in day-to-day -day western worlds answer would probably be no no yeah which is terrifying but then actually if you go over to more rural existences maybe more impoverished existences in rural vietnam whatever it might be the answer is probably yes yep which makes you wonder well what are the environmental influences that make us feel the way that we do and how do we communicate to people to reframe their perspective on things without having to go through a traumatic experience? Because I can very much empathize with the, you've got a second chance at this, just go all in, take action, say yes to everything, and don't, it's not, it, it, be patient with things, but don't have any faith that tomorrow will come and give you the opportunity if you can do it right now. Yeah. And that's kind of the perspective I've I've come out of the back of my suicide attempt with, whereby I reflect on everything that's happened between then and now and think of all the times I've laughed, the people I've met, the things I've enjoyed, and that that was almost not the case. Yep. So the gratefulness that comes with those experiences is augmented, which means that it forces me to constantly consider my place in the world and what place I want that to be. Yeah, gratitude is a big one, I think, that came out of it. I think you definitely start to appreciate the experiences and world and what you've been able to go through because, again, you know, it's very similar to you. I'm looking back. If I was at 15% and I didn't make it out, all the stuff that I've experienced since I'm even more grateful for because I've had that second chance at, at life. So getting into influence marketing, Solderson, I think the first question for those listening, because it's a newer 
pillar of marketing, but very much one of the fastest growing and, and most effective within the modern world. But I'd say there's a lot of confusion around it. Yeah, I fall into that category in many ways. You run a business that is the middleman for a lot of it. So do you want to clear up any confusion on influencer marketing? What do people need to know about it? And what do you think people often get wrong with their understanding of influencer marketing? Yeah, okay. So really the fundamental, if you if you want to get straight back to very layman terms, influencer marketing is essentially where a brand promotes their products with influencers as a sort of like the advertising medium, right? If you if anyone knows what like, you know, if everyone, anyone's seen a Facebook or an Instagram or a YouTube ad, instead of advertising using paid media, you're essentially using your influencers as that as that paid media. It's, it's virtually as simple as that. But the reason why influencer marketing is so powerful and the reason why people use it so much is because the generally the, the Gen Z and the millennial age group have grown up with social media, grown up with phones and have been attached to these and seeing these sort of public figures online. Traditionally, celebrity marketing was a very, very big thing because, you know, our, I know my parents' generation, they grew up watching TV or seeing celebrities and the brand association with them was the most important thing. But now brands are trying to associate with the people that we trust, that we watch and that influence us so utilizing, utilizing influencers is the perfect route for that because we really trust those people. We feel like that level of relatability to them because anyone really can become an influencer, you know, especially with the rise of, of TikTok where it's very fast now to grow. You know, I could, or I mean, probably not me because I don't, I don't feel I have a level, but anyone really could um, start a TikTok channel and over the next month grow that very effectively and then they're deemed an influencer. And it's not like you have to be born into any sort of route. You know, for example, some a lot of celebrities were born into to wealth or, or whatever, or are, bo are born into celebrity um, fandom. Influencer, you can just become that. So it's a level of relatability. So younger people associate more with them. They relate to them more. And also they take a lot of their worldviews, opinions, and um, I guess, you know, considerations of what they want to purchase from the people they follow online. Because, I don't know, as I say, they, they just associate with them. So brands need to position themselves with these creators to then reach that target audience because they've already built that trust and they don't have to hit those that audience with as many touch points as they might have had to do previously. You know, if I don't know a brand and I go and look at a say like a magazine ad or a, or a banner, I'm probably not going to purchase the rhythm because it's just it's it's just there. But if it's with an influencer that I already know and trust, you've almost broken that fourth wall with the brand. So that's the main sort of reason it's become so successful and brands are advocating it and using it a lot more because it's the perfect way to connect with this Gen Z and millennial audience. And in simple terms, it's no different to traditional marketing, where the aim of traditional marketing is to get new potential customers in front of the thing you are trying to make them aware of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the influencer is literally just, you know, you can just replace influencer with anything. You can replace the it with Super Bowl, the, yeah, exactly. for example. Like, it, yeah. Super Bowl, it's an, it's whatever medium you're using to advertise a product, is, is, is the marketing asset and the influencer is just that medium, essentially. I think there's a lot of inherent cynicism in probably our parents' generation that don't necessarily, maybe maybe those a little bit younger than that, that don't necessarily view it in as simple terms as, as I try to and I'm sure that you do, which is marketing channel is created. That is people that are interested in the focus point of that marketing channel and there are brands that align with that that, the person uses yep so therefore it makes sense to show it to that wider audience which exactly. is essentially just the same mechanism as any form of traditional marketing which is how can we reach our target audience and make them aware that we exist what is the mechanism to do that in the in your case influences the mechanism but traditionally it's been celebrities it's been athletes it's been billboards it's been magazine ads 
So it's yeah. no different to traditional marketing. I think it's just something that's worth clearing up. Yeah, I think a, there, lot there over, a, a lot of people overcomplicate yeah. it because they just are like, influencer, what's that? Like, what's, what's, what? Because especially, like, I, I think it's just the, the generations above us because they're not a social media in tune with a social media it's, it's, it's not in a critical way because i think it's it's important it's just it's something that's new and has developed yep. quickly hasn't it and i mean I, i'm not massively older than you are but there's people that are sort of my age and slightly above that are really anti-social media because it kind of came at a point where it's new and if you didn't get involved then you kind of just distance yourself and stayed away from it but i think it's um authenticity is the buzzword that i think i really want to throw out there because the only value i see in people online that fall into this category is if they are authentic otherwise the whole thing falls flat on its flat on its face and it just becomes a transactional you have this this many eyes on you we have a product let's pay to sell which is no different to a facebook ad in my in yeah. my mind that you're not accessing the sort of fourth wall element that you yeah there's there. not there's no extra sort of value out at that point because it's not because fundamentally paid ads Facebook ads, if you do them right, will end up being cheaper than influencer ads. It's just the way that it is because you're just running it through a Facebook advertising mechanism. Whereas if you're running with influencers, a real person, you're buying into their you know own persona, their time, their editing, their creative. So it's going to be more expensive generally. So and if that creator doesn't have like a sort of authentic connection with their audience, then you're not really getting the additional value add. But some brands are just viewing it now a lot more as just simply just performance a performance mechanism similar to facebook ads they don't really care about the creator the connection of the audience if that creator can generate and sell for them then they don't really care an awful lot about that but authenticity is generally one of the main things you have to have for that to happen anyway there's some extreme cases where it's not you know there's some extreme cases where for example it might be a channel that's not based around a, a person or a personality not building that trust and that connection and that just sells very that just sells very well for a specific brand but generally is the the authenticity of a creator and they're only going to be promoting products that they truly believe in. Their audience knows that. And then that's like, okay, they're not just shilling some, something bad at me. I, I you know I protect, want to buy it. And de-influencing, I don't know if you've seen that, has become a bit of a buzzword at the moment of like influencers sharing, um, A, firstly, products that they don't like and being authentic around that and, you know, being very open about that. But then also influencers that are viewed as non-authentic as well who do a bunch of promotions are actually having a much more negative impact on brands. So it's a very interesting space. You've got to really got to do it right. Otherwise you don't see an awful lot. You just end up spending a lot of, of money and achieving very, very little back. It's something that's very important to me. Hence why for anyone listening, that's kind of wanting a bit of an insight into the ecosystem from my end is that's why generally speaking, I'll only really do long-term relationships because yep. I can build in the wetsuits that I wear three times a week to the narrative of the training that I'm doing with the brand that I was wearing anyway, but then we can almost sync up to magnify the effort of the video being created or just make the process easier so that more eyes that are relevant to the product are seeing the things that I bought into in the first place, which is why authenticity is something that I hold very, very valuably to me because it's integrity at the end of the day. It's, yep. it's, it's, only, it's only working with people you like to work with and that goes beyond marketing. That's kind yep. of how to do it on a day-to-day -day basis. I think, the, anyway. I, think, I think the creators that are doing it best are the ones that are shifting more to longer term arrangements with brands and maybe are shifting less from, I think I think up until a certain point, when you're when you're first starting out small, you know, you need to obviously be making income. So creators are just trying to bring everything on board. But when they get to a certain size and they can command more from a brand, they can command more respect, they're obviously more picky. Want to work into brands, brands that they're already bought into these longer term relationships. 
But I think a lot of creators now are moving more towards realizing, right, if I can work with a brand long-term and actually help grow them, this is going to have much more long-term benefit for me. So there's, you know, equity deals coming out now where creators are getting equity in a brand, in a company, or even so more creators, instead of promoting a brand, are actually realizing, right, what's authentic to me if I just launch my own thing and I'll promote that as much as I want. It belongs to me. I'll be using it anyway. And um, that's really obviously growing a lot within the creator economy at the moment as well. Which is fascinating. Anyway, that's enough on that in terms of context. But I just want to get out of the way because I do think there is an inherent cynicism yes, yes. that I think for those listening, I'd encourage you to be a little bit more open-minded to with all that in mind, hopefully, um, because it's a massive, massive industry and you are really right in the thick of it with Solderson. So do you want to talk us through the journey from 17 years old to now in terms of the business growth and what the biggest challenges have been along the way along with the the sort of real focus points of the business that you want to share? Yeah, um, so we started in July 2018, um, just me, myself, and the idea was that I just started managing a few content creators that I was working with back at ESL. So I left ESL, and ESL was an MCN at the time, so basically these part channels could technically still m- partner with me and be managed by me. It was a different sort of relationship, so I was able to bring them over, and all I was doing at this point was managing their emails, brand was reaching out to them and then I would just negotiate with the brand on a rate that the creator wanted and take a percentage and handle that sort of process so the creator didn't have to. It was almost just an idea of letting the creator create, I'd handle the business at the back end. It's just tra- kind of traditional, traditional broker model. Traditional, yeah. yeah. Um, and then during that process, I had a brand that came to me and essentially did it with my creators. I was like, do you have any more creators that you, you can you can work with us with? And I didn't at that point. And I realized, oh, actually, and they were like, Brian, well, can we just give you like 10K and can you just spend this with creators because you've done it well with these ones? And then I started looking into it more and realized the majority of the money in the space, unless you had managed or you were managing some of the top pinnacle creators, the majority of money in the space really is working and servicing for the brands because they're the ones that at the end of the day hold the budget um, up until obviously we get to your, 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 large, your large scale creators. So shifted the agency at the time into both talent management. So we're still managing these creators and working for them essentially, and then working for our brands and handling their marketing spend. So the idea was that they would come with a certain marketing spend. We would work with them to develop a sort of strategy to spend that utilizing influencers, whether that's a very simple case of they knew already what they wanted to do, or we had to come up with some sort of strategy to to reach that, that audience. Um, so started doing that over the, the first six months. Um, the business started growing a lot quicker than I expected. Cause again, for me, it was just, I just had to do something right away from my journey and I wanted to build this business and it was taking my mind off what I was going through as well. Within six months, I think we turned over hundred K and then I was like, okay, this is where it really could possibly be something. Um, we started receiving quite a bit of press as well, which helped with our growth and our journey. So I brought in a member of the team and just myself and him were just building and growing. And a majority of the time at that point, it was just managing talent and then getting these small campaigns from these brands and trying to help them plan their budget and spend that across. Um, and then over the years, I think we've been running for just under what, five years now, uh, it'll be five years in, in July. So we've grown pretty, pretty, pretty well since then. We've had, I think, we've, uh, you know, I'll be honest, we've had last, last year, we, we, we didn't grow to our targets. We want to, we actually plateaued a little bit. Um, and I take personal responsibility for that because I was more so focused on like my personal life and just wanted to travel and whatever. And this year I'm kind of taking much more focus, but we've grown still pretty, pretty well since that first zero. And, um, this year looking to do about two and a half million GBP in, uh, in, in, in turnover. 
uh, main focus of the business. We still have the time management side that's still growing and that's still building. Um, it wasn't really a main focus for me and it still isn't necessarily, but I think it's a very interesting space because the talent we have, a lot of them are absolutely amazing. Some extremely talented creators in there, but also, you know, just looking at the way the career economy is going, long-term potential with working and building potential brands with creators um, is, is, is massive, you know, if you can find yourself uh, a creator who can build you the next, you know, Miss, you know, uh, Prime or the next Mr. Beast brand or whatever, there's a lot of long-term potential there. It's also a great asset to hold as a business. You know, these creators that are signed for you for for long term. And I also want to stay like true to my roots. So that's the that's the area I started in. This area I was passionate about helping content creators. So we still kind of are building that and growing. But my main focus is on the the agency side of the business, um, and that's really just working with clients to. Help them as I say the, the similar sort of the same similar thing but a lot much larger budgets now and uh, much more in-depth strategies and uh, we're, we're launching a few different things so looking to launch say a creator economy brand a few other uh, services within that um, we have around uh, 11 people in total in the team at the moment um, that as I say we've been growing and building from there um, and yeah that's that's the kind of main area we've worked with clients like Asus um, or probably one of the, the biggest names of the, the tech company we've done probably high six figures now in sort of campaigns run run with them over the over the time help them build out their, their TikTok to start with which Ed was actually uh, was was hired I was hired around that time to, to come now, on uh, with. who now works with me yeah which is quite <laughs> funny um, and uh, so we've done stuff with Asus Acer AB InBev which is like the world's biggest yeah, yeah, beer company yeah. we helped them do their sort of esports strategy last year so some really in- incredible names that I think it's like wow like a 22 year old guy from Scotland is like handling you know budgets you know large scale briefs and budgets that for for huge like multi billion brands uh, and we've worked with some some really cool creators so um we have some we have some pretty awesome talent side we've got uh they're basically the the biggest photoshop creator that ed brought in actually and ed still works with called called benny who's who's really 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 talented we've worked with other creators non-exclusively as well so i've worked with basically all the side men know all the all the side men guys the beta squad um you know some of the guys from uh logan paul's team and whatnot so it's so it's pretty it's pretty cool and we put on a lot of interesting um activations some have gone massively successfully obviously some not you have your you have your both but we've had a lot of data a lot of learning and just trying to continually improve the service um a lot of brands as they are shifting more performance based so that's the challenge this year is more brands are being like okay we don't really care about the viewership or the impressions or what how good this can look for our brands we're solely based on what performance is it going to bring so a lot of our strategy at the moment is having to shift to be much more um, efficient with the spend that we're doing on uh, on campaigns to really have that attri- attributable sales performance come back. Which is probably reflective of the wider economy it's, worldwide. It's, it's, it's virtually, since the kind of macroeconomic stance of the world, this has been the, that's been the way the market's going. I'm seeing very few campaigns across other agencies as well, because I talk to a lot of the other agency founders because we all keep up with each other. That's one good thing about this space is that whilst you're very competitive, you can collaborate a lot because everyone has access to different brands and different creators and you know there's a lot of collaborative opportunity but that's the way that a lot of people's campaigns are going it's you know everyone is just solely focused on performance right now because when situations like this happen the first thing that usually gets cut is is marketing so if they are going to be cutting that the marketing they are doing is going to be focused on simply just sales and acquisition so that's the main thing right now but it's because it's a it's proving uh it's proving interesting for for some brands but it's uh it's a good challenge because i'm really you know we're really team are really learning a lot about um data and how to actually get performance from the from the advertising so at what point did the dream to become a doctor die 
I think it was probably around the time that I got the job at ESL because before that, everything I'd done, I think over the three years prior, I think I'd made a total of about $2,500 online. So it wasn't like, if you know, you do, if you do the maths on that compared to an hourly rate, hourly uh, uh, salary. Which your parents had good experience with in terms of hours worked versus salary yes. netted, didn't they? Yeah. Exactly. That was uh, very, very low. I mean, I didn't ever tell them about it, but that was just, if I was doing the maths against it, it was like, there's no way I can survive on $2,500 every three years, realistically. So it wasn't, at that point, I was still like, just doing it as a passion and a hobby, just trying to make what I could. When I got the job at ESL, and um, I had, you know, obviously I was getting the 800 euros in every month, and the, obviously the projections that we set with the team of, you know, you'll finish your school and work for a sort of on this freelance part-time role, and then come and work and, and kind of live in Germany and work from the HQ. That was when I was really like, okay, this is, I'm gonna go down this path now. Because even if I don't have success in a business in this path, I'll still work in the corporate space within, I guess, the, the, the marketing and esports world and still work for a very large, because ESL is the biggest company, still work for a very large firm, build out my experience and become a big name in this space and then maybe go into um, starting my business again in the future. So I think it was around that time, like early 2018. Did you feel like you were letting your parents down at all? Um, not really, to be honest. Um, because again, I hadn't necessarily I mean, to me personally, I, I don't think I don't think it was because I hadn't really told them. I hadn't really processed at that time. Maybe if I had the discussion and they looked upset or they thought they, you know, they looked that they were let down potentially. But at that point, I hadn't really thought about their, you know, how they would how they would view it. And then it was only until later when I started when I got ill and I started seeing the success with Solderson when I had the discussion with them about it. And at that point, they were very open to what I was interested in. It was obviously. When I got ill, I think their mindset as well shifted a lot on like my life and what I wanted to do, um, and you know my, my my prospects and that conversation. They were even the ones I remember when I was applying for uni in that time period when I was ill and when I started seeing this little bit of success because I told them about it when I started um, when I started it because I mean I was building I was building the website in the in the chemo war. My mum was always with me and she would see what I was doing, and when I told them about sort of the the revenue you were bringing at that point. And you know, I'm really interested in this business. They were completely supportive, which was a massive change from before. And I think it was definitely what I went through that they were like, right, let's um, let's be more open to to kind of other opportunities because the life is potentially this short, and you know, maybe he doesn't want to do this. And they didn't actually. They were like, do you, you don't if do you want to go to uni, like you don't necessarily have to. It was me that still went to university. Obviously, very different um, route. And also my brother is older than me. He didn't go on to be do medicine. He went on to do economics and stuff. So I think they were already like away from the whole, the doctor thing. It was just as long as I was doing something that would have good prospects for me in the future and I was gonna have sustainable and, and good income and be able to provide for a family in the future. I think the, the real key point there is that you built a viable alternative in the background because you enjoyed doing so. Yep. And didn't spend too much time pondering and thinking on ideas with those around you that might have negatives to share or might have alternative routes to offer you. Because I think when it comes to people starting their own businesses, they fall into that trap where they spend far much time thinking and conferring with those around them that will obviously have, uh, they'll bring up risk, they'll bring up this, they'll bring up that, and it might make you a little bit less excited about it. But if you can find something you're passionate about and build it to the point where it accidentally becomes a career, which for you it, it became, then it means that you have a viable solution to then sort of work with the people around you, create a support network so that you can be the best version of yourself moving forwards because there's an element of selfishness to 
the way you've had to exist now, I'd imagine. 11 staff members, different time zones, lots going on. And that selfishness probably comes at a cost to your personal life in some way for the age that you are, I would imagine. So do you feel being a few years ahead in terms of the standard evolution of entrepreneurialism, career path in general, how, how, how harsh do you think the compromise has been on your personal life or do you think it's all been personal it's all been beneficial um i think it's probably majority been beneficial realistically looking at it but i think there has been a lot of uh negativity and negative things that have come from it because you know if i look at all my peers from school or university all of, i should still be in university right now i just dropped a year i would still be my fourth year right now so all of my friends who are in sort of a more traditional route are still there still doing this very sort of carefree uni life and I'm looking at me with all these pent up responsibilities and mental sort of baggage that I have. And whilst I have, you know, I'm way ahead of them comparatively in terms of career monetary, I guess, consciousness and uh, intelligence and in different areas um, and kind of real world, uh, you know, skills and abilities, it's fantastic. Loads of, you know, loads of opportunity there. And if I ever needed to go into any sort of specific route, I have like this massive wealth of experience behind me. But in terms of the ability to just live a life where I don't have to really, I'm comfortable to care about anything. I can just enjoy my time, social, uni. I don't have these responsibilities. You know, I, I said this, I was, I was in a TED talk last week and I said this, this one thing that was like, you know, myself and many other young entrepreneurs have obviously had to bear a lot of responsibility and liabilities that you wouldn't expect a 22 year old to face. Like I'm now responsible for not just my life, but the lives of many other people. You know, I've got family members I have to take care of. I have clients that rely on me. And if I mess up for them, then, you know, there's negative impacts on, on their livelihoods, their business. And the probably one that's even the most, um, you know, difficult to think about is, you know, staff members, right? If I mess up, it doesn't just affect me. They rely on me for their survival, their livelihood to, you know, meet their bills every month. And if I mess up, and you know, one of them has to be let go or something. That's you know, I've I've got I've I, you know I'm I'm I have to think about them as well. So it's uh, it's it's a lot of uh, it's very taxing mentally. There's a lot of emotional baggage. I think it's come with it. Definitely a lot of like different traumatic points and the the experience of self doubt. You know, there's been there's been bad times. You know, no one has a perfect writing business. Anyone that that's you know Amazon or. Tesla have probably had times where they were almost they were almost bust. No one ever has any hundred percent good times. So there's been very rough times. You know, there's been times where we've had not hit our goals, we've lost lots of money, and we've not we've not turned over X Y Z. And there's a, comes with a whole load of self doubt as well. It's like, am I really cut out for this? Can I can I really have success in this? Because fundamentally, like I've done well, but I'm nowhere near what I would need to ever be to be like you know I can relax now. I'm fine. Um, so I still have to constantly continue, continue working and thinking, and I've, I'm still a startup at the end of the day and I've not really made it yet. So there is still always that self doubt of like, if I fail now, you know, I'm, 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 I cut it for this, for this path. Is your identity wrapped up in the performance of the business? I think so for sure. I think because, um, I mean the, I think another negative part and a positive part, you get, you get, you get into all these circles of very interesting people who have made, who become successful young or get access to different people who are older mentors whatever and then i obviously then start comparing myself to to these people who maybe are have completely made it or they're young and they're ahead of me and this at this specific standpoint so then i start comparing myself to them and i'm like i need to 
get like that to be able to sort of stand in my own two feet in these networks and then my identity then gets wrapped up into i have to have this business perform and keep growing and keep getting better if i want to you know i guess be, be compared to these people or will they even like respect me if i can't get to that stage that these people are at um i've definitely got wrapped into that sort of cycle of just needing to to to, to keep on getting better and perform as a, as a business owner what is it that's driving you to do that is it ego is it proving to yourself that you can be who you wanted to be coming out of a negative experience with chemotherapy and remission? Is it to impress others? Is it to impress your parents? What what at your core is driving you forwards? I think there's a there's definitely a few things like I'll I'll always admit like to to everyone like I'm definitely pretty material uh, materialistic things that these things drive me like you know if I see someone drive a nice car you know I I want that car how can I get to that I'm I, you know I'm, I'm materialistic I want to have this image of you know being wealthy successful being able to do what i want when i want have you know be able to drive these fast cars but part of it is almost like to me to just like prove to a myself but also to anyone that ever doubted me that like i can i can make it in whatever way because when i started off when i was in in, in the early parts like when i was doing youtube making this cringy content you know you get picked on at school because it's it's it's, it's non-conventional you're going away from the status quo and to be honest like i'm looking back i would have picked on myself it's cringe <laughs> but um like people had so much people always doubt you at the start of your journey and i had a lot of people doubting me as if i would ever go anywhere even close friends who were like it's not necessarily going anywhere i didn't believe in it or didn't know what i was really doing so it's proving as well to other people i think of like you know no nothing can stop me and i'm going to get to this success level and obviously a part of it is proving to to myself as well that I am a capable individual to to get to this. I think I have wrapped myself up into the the space of just needing to be like a very high performance individual across every area. Like business is obviously the first area that goes into it, but I need to be high performance in other points. I don't know, that's just a big driver of me that I want to be one of these individuals that is very capable. And now I need to I need to do that and there's nothing can really stop me to get there. Thank you for sharing all that because I, 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 there's a lot of people that keep some elements of that probably closest to their chest in the sense that they wouldn't outwardly say, yes, I'm materialistic because there's almost a stigma attached to saying such things, which I applaud you for owning because it, it, it makes it a much more trans transactional process whereby this is how I deem success personally. That doesn't mean it's the right way, but this is what, yeah, what it may keeps not, me It may not be the right way because I was talking to someone about this. It may not necessarily be the, be the right way and it might be actually negative in some aspects, but I think it's important to be self-aware of it and be open and honest with yourself that this is the this is the reasoning behind so it. So how sustainable is it, do you think? Because hedonistic adaptation is a thing. Yep. There's always a faster car. There's always a bigger house. There's always a bigger boat. Monaco exists. Yeah, I've there's, been in there's, it. <laughs> there's all these things that are a lot further along the ladder further up the steps and you're only 22 at the moment you've already ticked off a lot of these things which is is phenomenal to have done so but where do you where do you actually draw happiness from on a day-to-day -day basis or are you always looking forward to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing because surely that can't be sustainable long term because there won't be a next thing or you might hit a point where actually your identity becomes so wrapped up in business growth that you stop yourself from even actually being able to consider who you are out with the business. Yep. And you get caught in this constant cycle of never actually allowing yourself to be happy because you're always chasing a vision of happiness that doesn't actually exist. No, I completely agree. I completely agree with you in the fact that, um, you know, you do end up continually just chasing the next mountain. But I always do think there is generally always another mountain to climb. Whether that is trying to like financial, 
at some point, you know, you say obviously there's eventually becomes a cap, but I think at that point I will have learned enough about myself and had enough life experience to know there'll probably be another mountain on top of that that may not be that. I just think that I am I am generally a person that just wants to keep doing something and achieving something. I think I would get bored if I got to the point where I completed everything, uh, completed everything, and I, I would get bored. And I don't think you can complete everything. There's always going to be something else, and I and I don't necessarily think I derive happiness from that. I think I derive my constant pursuit of something or, or sort of purpose from from sort of achieving all these things i mean happiness like i don't know i i derive happiness just from like doing stuff that i feel fulfills me so whether that is you know right now it's obviously running a business and 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 and, and making money and making some sort of impact or whatever but you know there was also i do this um i do this sort of coaching group for for young guys and like that makes absolutely nothing like it, we, we don't really charge very much for it but i derive happiness because i just like I, I work with these guys and i see like the success they're having so i don't necessarily think it is just wrapped up in this business performance thing um for my happiness levels i think it's just if as long as i'm doing something that fulfills me and this towards my sort of goal and purpose i will have happiness there and i mean you know i i still hang out with my my friends and do all that stuff the the standard 22 year old stuff where i get my my happiness from and whatnot so would you be less happy having a flat white with your friends at a cafe in Glasgow than you would having a flat white with your friends at a cafe in Monaco? So I've, I've, uh, I, I thought this for, for a while, uh, that I would, that it would be, I, I would, I know I'd want to be in a different place. And I've been traveling a lot recently just to, because I had this idea, I got really bored being during COVID, being in the one place. I just had to see the world and eventually discover where I liked. And I've seen ama some amazing places and love some amazing places, but I realized on this journey that it's not necessarily like where you are. It's like who you're with in the company. So as long as you are like, for example, if I was with my, I know I could have a good time here in Glasgow with my mates, as long as you're in that right company and that right frame of mindset, it doesn't necessarily matter. Okay. Could you potentially have more fun on, uh, you know, in Monaco on a yacht with what, whatever the, the environment for sure. But I think it does definitely down to like who you're with and the company that you're surrounding you with. You know, I've been, you know, I've, I've, I say I've lived in Glasgow and I know that some of the happy experiences I have are just having a good time with my closest mates from back home here, as opposed to potentially having, you know, a, a good time or a mad time in somewhere like Dubai or whatever. I think it definitely just ties down to the, the, the people. What is next? What are the low hanging fruit goals for you at the moment? Um, so yeah, just kind of continual growth of Solarson, there's a there's a lot we want to do and achieve in terms of um, clients and, and new business. So we're putting in a few systems. So I'm starting a system um, over the the next month, which is more so just around sort of the new business acquisition stuff. Because I just want to I just want to really scale and grow the business. Um, in terms of like next, I don't know how short term this is, but potential exit of of the business at some point. I was already approached by um, a company last year. To a bigger agency in the space about about buying the company uh, and I went back and forth them for a while I ended up not going far with it for a few different reasons um, I'm glad I didn't know actually because that company has lost quite a lot of their their clients this year so my earn out would and like stock because I was gonna I was gonna percentage earn out a percentage of stock in the company would be lower now um, but um so it's probably kind Good of decision. so it's probably Good worked decision. out well. I mean, the projections of them were great, but it's just a few things that ha obviously the macroeconomic state as well has, has happened. So, but potentially exit the business. Like, I love influencer marketing. I love the space that we're in. I think it's amazing. I've I get to work with people that I've 
watched and idolized and find super you know cool and get to be in these ex exciting environments and networks but i think it's a more like a stepping stone i don't see myself being you know working with youtubers all my life to be honest um i think i will eventually exit that i don't know whether that's whether that's in the next month whether that's the next five years but that's like on the on on, on the journey i'm also building a few things uh, aside from that so i'm building this uh the, this this coaching things um again that's not really like a I, I, that's not something I'm deriving like monetary success out of. That's just seeing what value it can have because I found it so fulfilling. There's a couple of guys that have come in there, um, and it, it it started originally as like a business financial coaching type thing to help them start a business and scale. But we realized like a lot of the guys coming in there just didn't really have many life skills as such, and it became more so just about helping them build as a as a as an individual as a man. So if I had guys coming in there who lack confidence, won't even speak to anyone out with their circles. Um, you know, have anxiety and all this, and it's he just helping them, you know, build those skills, build themselves as a man to then eventually, I guess, get into that level of building that business and financial. So that I think it's important to focus on your mindset and your confidence and your social skills first before you get into business, because you're gonna have a lot more success with business if you're sorted as a person before. Um, because you know, how can you sit and you know go into go into a room and try and sell to a big client if you can't even go and talk to you know someone in a in a shop? Right. There's there's all these these elements. And I also think that for a lot of the a lot of young people, especially with like the rise of Internet money and be, being able to get money so quickly, a lot of uh, when you were before in the past, you had to put in a lot of work and get yourself to become a very capable individual to make a lot of money. Now you can do it very, very simply just by getting lucky in crypto or an NFT or whatever. But the guys that do this, I don't even think are um, I, don't, I don't know what the word is, but like. I don't think they're capable of commanding that amount of money because they've not focused and built themselves. So it's that it's that type of progress. I'm nowhere near perfect. I've got so much I got to build, and you know I'm learning from people that are you know way more experienced than me in a lot of different areas. But I'm finding that fulfilling. So building that um, with my with my business partner there, and um, we're gonna do a few like events and stuff as well with with that program. Pro program, getting more into like other investments and property. So I've started a property thing up in St Andrews where we're writing to students and then doing Airbnb. So over the sort of coming um, months and years with what's going on in the market as uh, as things sort of start taking a hit, potentially opportunities within that. And then maybe a more longer term thing after I exit the business, I've really had this idea of want to start like a brand because I just feel like it's, um, I don't know, to me, it's like I'm having a physical product that I've either, you know, developed or innovated or made with, with a group of people that then has a real impact on people's lives. And, you know, people might actually have it in their houses or in their homes and they use on a daily basis or whether it's a one-off thing or subscription-based, whatever it is. I don't know, it just seems amazing to me that I'm obviously, like, physically impacting people's lives. Because at the, at the crux of it right now, all I'm doing is making rich brands richer, right? I'm not really doing anything that's massively impactful. Um, so something like that, uh, I think, is the next step after sort of what I'm doing right now. But really, it's just same as before, and just but at a higher level and trying to grow and build what we're what we got right now and um, keep up with uh, what's going on in the market and the economy right now and just basically, yeah. That's survive, survive to thrive. Survive, which, which everybody's everybody's doing in yeah. essence, aren't they? But what are the what are the harshest lessons that you've learned over the past couple of years from a business and a personal point of view? Because I can imagine everything's been so fast-paced since you were 17. Yep. Essentially, five years of business, five years of personal development with not much time to sort of stop along the way. And with that will come mistakes. With that will become relationships breaking down. With that will come 
maybe difficulty communicating with your family, not being as present as you'd like to be, maybe getting too intertwined with your identity in the business and lots of things like that. So where do you think you've made mistakes and what have the lessons been in the past couple of years? Um, I think in terms of uh, mistake-wise, I think I've had a lot of naivety when I started out in business, and I think most people do when they start a business, right? You're not really prepared. It's a very different beast. It's a very different world. And, you know, you can be you can put trust in people, but people, it, it's, it's business. It's a game, and people are doing stuff to, to obviously have the best potential output for them. So I put a lot of trust in people earlier on um, or thought something was really good or too good to be true, and it turned out to be. And I think I've learned a lot from there is that if something is good to, too, good, too good to be true, it probably is. And also don't you know get yourself too tied up with people that you don't fully understand and trust because I have been burned by people that I thought I could trust, but I hadn't really gone through the vetting process and really understood if they were a person that was there for me or um or this and so i think that's definitely definitely one of the the biggest things i think presence is another thing that i've struggled with a lot and taken um like i've seen it over the last five years is that even when i was out with friends or or at a party or whatever it was when i was in school i was always like just always switched on to work always just thinking about what it was i remember there was one night i was at a person's birthday party i, I remember this one and i got a notification on discord and it was for like some deal that i was organizing and i was like and I think I was drunk at the time, but I was just like, I just was, because I was just so addicted to business and just always like always couldn't switch off. I was just trying to get like business done while I was, while I was drunk. So I st struggled being the present moment and really, uh, you know, feel like I'm, I'm there. But I've, I've been learning that a lot recently is like when I'm working, I'm working. And when I'm not working, I shouldn't be thinking about it or, or, or look at that because it's harder to maintain relationships that way and really, um, you know, create like things that are less superficial in my opinion if you're not really present with um with people i think family and the time with them has been a learning point as well because you know there's most of the time um when i'm when i'm working i i you know i i was saying to saying to ed like i'm very very boring like when i'm working i wake up and i start work at like 10 a.m other than like taking breaks for food and then going to the the gym or running i'm just working like all day till i go to bed not really an awful lot so i don't really talk to all that many people out with of with, with whether it's a work-related thing and i don't talk to my family as much but i've realized the importance of that during the time and you can't be drawn to a yes you have to make sacrifices to have success in business but there are some things you shouldn't be sacrificing and again this has come from the whole idea of you know tomorrow's ne necessarily promised so you know I've, or, you know the time you need to give to your your family and close people is very important um and then I think as well I've learned is that not everything you see on on social media is is true. And I've learned that from being in the influencer space, but also just my own personal journey. And it came from um, um, this. Uh, um, you maybe you've you've heard him or seen him, Iman Gadzi. This guy has this you know massive flaunty lifestyle online. Twenty two year old, twenty five million, and everyone sees him as the perfect idealistic. Um, and I was always, and I was striving to to be like that, even content style at some point. So I was trying to like, you know, have this this life because I thought this guy had the perfect life. And smoke then I've heard smoking mirrors. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard a lot about you know his story in the past and battles with depression, anxiety. I think he had some you know like sort of suicidal time as well. And I've learned that from my own journey because people always say to me, you know, your life looks perfect because you only really share that on social media. But there are so many unseen behind the scene truths. You know, I could share travel content or, or whatever online you know making make it look like all i'm doing is having this great time 
traveling, but at the majority of the time, honestly, I'm glued to a computer screen, just hustling and working, but people don't necessarily see that. So I've learned that. And I always thought when I was younger that I just idolized these Emans and Stevens and stuff thought, oh, these guys are mega successful. They don't probably don't have to work, do anything. They can just travel, hot girls around them, fast cars, whatever. But it's, it's really not like that. That's like a one, 2% of the process. I said smoke and mirrors because it comes back to the authenticity point earlier is I, I just can't buy into that style of content or narrative where it seems to be sort of hyper hyper playing on the insecurities of, of young men at the moment and trying yeah. to offer them a solution to a problem that he isn't the one to solve. Um, but the perception is that it's all completely perfect at all times, yep. which is which is why it can be frustrating trying to trying to decipher what's available online for people that probably not much younger than yourself are trying to determine their stance in life. So it's a good point because yeah, everybody's guilty of it. The person that has just had their first child that wants to make it seem like they're living this perfect family lifestyle when in reality it's probably chaos at home. Yep. And that holiday going on, it's all smiles. They might be arguing because the kid's keeping them up all night, but we all have this perception of not showing any vulnerabilities. It's, it's because there's the whole culture online, obviously, and you know, you've worked out and as a, as a martyr, and like the martyr culture is like success sells, failure doesn't typically. So people only will want to show the successful, good parts of their life. In some cases, being vulnerable and showing showing parts does does work. Like for example, um, you know, I've seen like LinkedIn posts of people being vulnerable about obviously the tech layoffs and talking about that. But it's a pride element as well, I think, because it's actually quite difficult. I think it, I think just in the modern world that we live in, it's quite difficult for people to like really want to show the bad stuff that's happening. It's almost like it's. Uh, uh, yeah, I say it's a pride thing that they feel like they're lesser if they have to come out and be vulnerable or something's not going well. Because I know a lot of people who have been affected by, for example, layoffs or being made redundant or whatever, and it's like they don't want to talk about that online because it makes them look as if they're not good at what they're doing. I, I view it as dishonest, though, because you're essentially withholding the true version of yourself and presenting an ideal that cannot be attained to the outward world. It is, it is for sure dishonest, and but a lot of people obviously are just, you know, they don't want to be perceived as something that is... That that is negative. I, I I try and do my absolute best to be very honest about all the ebbs and flows in my life on yep. a day to day basis. Again, within a afternoon's worth of filming on a YouTube video or with a caption on Instagram that I've sat there and. But I think it's different for you up. compared yeah, yeah. to most people because obviously what you've been through. So you're obviously very aware of like the real problems that can can occur in life. So you're obviously going to be very open, transparent. And a lot of your brand is has come off of that. But for people who have not, as you say, experienced some sort of trauma and understand that you can be vulnerable and people are open to that. They have, they want to just show this perfect dishonesty. It, it, it is, it's, it's not frustrating, but it's, it's unfortunate because there's so many examples of that, not that, that being incorrect. Yep. Whereas there seems to be this tendency that people need to feel like they've hit rock bottom before they can sort of start to lay the strategies and the habits to build themselves back up. So with that in mind, given that you are self-aware off the back of your negative experience, given that you have high stresses, you have a high responsibilities, you have the lessons that have come from naivety, as you, as you said, as, as we all do when getting into something new. How do you manage the ebbs and flows psychologically? Are you open, honest, and vulnerable with your family, your friends? Is it still something you feel you need to keep close to you? Or are you comfortable working through things in your own head? Are there any habits that you have that help you decompress and actually make a decision to move forwards? I'm very comfortable working through like what's going on, but I will be open and transparent. But I mean, like, when I come on podcasts or I do a talk, like I'm, I'm very honest. Like I told everyone before, I'm, I'm materialistic. I did a TED talk the other day, and the whole point of the, the TED talk was about 
the unseen truths by entrepreneurship and talking about you know actually the negatives that have come from my experience and the stuff that i go through on a daily basis the toughness the struggle the challenges um so i will be open and honest about it um you know if i'm doing a talk or a podcast or being asked about it but i tend not to talk about it an awful lot because i know i feel like i'm a person who can get through it pretty well and that's just become because of my resilience from my experiences in life um because i've been because for me it's like i've been knocked down to possibly one of the lowest points that i could have been like you know you're, you you have yourself so i feel like now anything that comes across in my life i can manage it a lot easier because i know that it just can't be it just can't be worse than what i've already been through so i will get through it so i don't tend to stress an awful lot i i know i do feel stressed but i don't tend to project it out into the world because i know i can manage it entirely myself you know if pe people ask me or people talk to me you know I, I i will generally be honest about it but i don't need to i guess um manage it by by putting it out there i can manage it my myself as much but it's, it's not like I, I, but i won't hide it do you think do you think things need to improve online because i personally think people need to be more honest and present the human behind the lens more, no for more sure i do. think i think especially in the 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 west the western world for sure i think we do need to be more honest online because it's giving this as i say dishonest and false perception to people who are coming it's, cr it's creating an unattainable ideal and i think yeah. that can be damaging for people that it, are looking for heroes in their day-to-day -day life very for sure and as, as you say if we're looking for heroes but then it's obviously not actually that and when they get to really know about who that hero is and what they've gone through and, and everything then it's not quite the same as what they're portraying um so i think it does need to be more honest because i think as well like when when things are honest like again it is much more relatable to everyone people respect it as well i've never seen anyone who has come out about something bad or been vulnerable who and people have obviously there's your you know your internet trolls and haters or whatever you're going to get that regardless but who hasn't had people respect them more relate to that and be like you know actually i understand this a lot more and, I, and now i can look at it you know look at the lens and put it on my life and think okay this is this is how you know i should be living or how i should do this or why this is happening yeah, I think it's it's something I'm very passionate about, but also I, I personally couldn't do it any other way. If I'm having a bad time, I'll be pretty open and honest about yeah. it with, with everyone around me because I know that's the best way for me to find a way through it. But also pretending that I'm happy when actually I'm not or pretending everything's great when it perhaps isn't is much harder to do than it is to just be honest, in my opinion. But again, as you said, that comes from a self-awareness through a negative experience. But Yeah, and a lot yeah. of people, unfortunately, don't, don't have that. So then they'll never realise realize that and that's one thing i'm trying to do with like my story i think is um that's one of the things i was saying like i'm trying to have i want people to rather people take action in their life instead of wait for something negative to happen that springs them to do it because you know sometimes people are always just waiting for that or not even they're not necessarily consciously waiting just subconsciously they're waiting yeah. for something bad to happen and then maybe it never maybe by. it never happens and then yeah. yeah they regret it towards the end of their life so with a clear self-awareness with a clear desire to be a certain person in the future if solderson didn't exist tomorrow who would you be as a person i think i would i mean i'd still be the same the same me but just just without the business i think i've like i'm trying to detach myself from like this business specifically like i would still be sue who has managed to are you saying as if like solderson wasn't ever a thing or if no it no just if it just disappeared tomorrow what, what would your how how what would your perception of your own identity be i mean i i think it would be the same I, it's not just necessarily so i mean i have my other other businesses i would still be you know sue the entrepreneur who wants to succeed and build and all it would be the case of is that if if the, my the industry got wiped out tomorrow i would just 
take some time to reflect on, okay, what is the potential next opportunity and just continue down that path. I think now I've got to the stage where it's like, I don't think I could see myself working for someone else unless it was, for example, a company I was very, very bought into and potentially was working as like entrepreneurial or somewhere up in the, the space. But I think it would just be the case of, I would still be very entrepreneurial and we just want to build something else, whether or not that's all in. But I'd probably take some time to just really think about what that next opportunity is. Um, but I think I'd be the same. I don't think I'm necessarily tied to this one business specifically. Business and entrepreneurship as a whole, I'm very tied to, but this one business is not like me solo. Yeah, people see me as like that guy in influencer marketing, but I'm also trying to do more just around like young entrepreneurship as opposed to just the influencer marketing guy, if that makes sense. I think, I think it's the healthiest way to go and it, it's 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 positive to hear that because I think this is the trap that a lot of um, athletes fall into. A lot of long-standing employees within big businesses fall into where their identity becomes a bit wrapped in what they do on a day-to-day -day basis rather than who they truly are. So it's, I think it's just a question no, that's, that's worth reflecting that's, on. That's really interesting you say that because um, my mum's like retired recently and she literally, like I was talking to her the other day and she was like, I feel a bit lost. And I was like, why? She's like, you know, I've been, she's been in the same place 27 years of her life. And does like, I just don't really know like who I am anymore because that was me. I was this like that's senior tw That's partner. 27 years of habitual existence that you have to work backwards from. Yeah. Cause she's going to happen overnight. Cause I, cause I thought, you know, life's going to be so great. Like you can just completely do everything you wanted to do, but she is just feeling like very like lost in terms of like, what, what am I really here to do like because she her whole like life and journey and purpose was to be a doctor and look after people and now she's like that's all gone so what is her identity so it's very interesting you mentioned that because i'm seeing that obviously in my own um you know my, my own family but i think obviously as i say i'm not necessarily so tied to solution as a one i think if me isn't if all my entrepreneurship was to go tomorrow then it might be something where it's like i have to like rethink and realign like my identity and, and what i'm trying to do but solution as a as a as a one i don't think would uh, would cause that that's positive to hear. And I think uh, it's something I constantly reflect on as well is, is who am I as a person? Who do I want to be? And how do I fit what I do on a daily basis into that definition yeah. rather than the other way around, which I think is the easier trap to fall into. And then all of a sudden you have a small change in your life and you feel like you're in a tailspin, no, which sure. is difficult to get out of. So thank you very much. That is, uh, that's been a very interesting conversation. Where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, probably on Instagram, just at Sue I mean, over there or any other social platforms that Sue I mean, it's lucky point of having a very uncommon name. So yeah, just find me uh, over there probably. Fantastic. Thank you again. Thanks and very speak much. very soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. And there we have it. Another episode of the modern mind complete. And thank you to those of you that are still here massively appreciated just a quick reminder to do all of the podcasty stuff follow subscribe share with a friend thank you very much please do engage with the show sponsors and make sure to sign up to the modern mind emailing list through the show notes down below thank you very much hope there were some things that you took away from that and i will see you next time